17 years ago, I went to the Bountiful Temple for the first time to receive my own endowment, which is another word for gift. This ordinance or sacred work is something members of my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, often do once they reach adulthood or are preparing to serve as a full-time missionary or before they're married in our temple. I had an exceptional experience preparing to go to the temple. At the time, in the Huntington Beach area where I was living and attending church weekly, I not only completed the temple prep classes that many members take, even to this day, to prepare for temple worship, but I also took a three-hour temple orientation class at a man's home whose name I still don't know to this day, but that preparation changed my entire experience. He shared with me scripture after scripture of evidence that God has and always will work with us in patterns. And that what I was about to experience in the temple was exactly the same kind of thing God has been doing to teach men and women since the beginning of time. For years following this experience, I've talked with my dad about how impactful this training was, and we've had many discussions about how incredible the scripture and gospel teachings were that I learned that day in conjunction with the temple. My dad has served in many church leadership callings, including multiple bishoprics, as a member of the mission presidency for the Spain-Barcelona mission from January 2020 to July 2021, and now he's serving as a bishop of a young single adult ward in North Salt Lake. So finally, after many years of wanting to put something together that could be shared with others who are also preparing to enter the temple, including people in his congregation, we recorded this episode sharing these scriptural teachings. I hope that even if you're not a member of our church or aren't necessarily attending the temple right away, that this episode helps give you context as to what we do inside our temples and why they're so very important to us and why it's my personal favorite place on earth. Okay, I'm super excited. I'm here with one of my favorite people in the whole world, my dad, and we are going to talk about one of both of our favorite subjects in the world, the temple. And the reason why I invited my dad to talk to me about this is mainly because we share a love for this outline that we've talked about for years and years since I first went to the temple in 2007. And I lived in Huntington Beach. And if anyone is listening to this and they know who does this in the Huntington Beach stake for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, please write me an email or send me a message and tell me what this man's name is because I want to thank him. But anyway, when I was going to a singles ward in 2007 and preparing to go through the temple for the first time, there was a temple orientation that a man in my stake or the, you know, the general area that I lived in he would do this for people who were going to go to the temple for the first time. And it was magical because he sat me down and went through all of these things in the scriptures that showed the same things that I was about to see in the temple. And so when I went to the temple, I felt extremely well prepared. And I I feel like that's kind of outside of the norm for a lot of people. Do you, Dad? A hundred percent. I When you shared this, basically you sent the notes to me from your was he your stake president or i don't even know what he was i think he was just a designated specialist or someone who just had a deep love for the temple and this was something he did voluntarily out of his home for anyone that wanted it 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 was really powerful to me because i hadn't seen anybody who breaks down the the temple endowment in a way that 
is tied to patterns that we see in the scriptures. So I loved it immediately and thought if I ever have to teach a temple prep class, I will lean on this information because it was so good. And now you speak to quite a few young single adults getting ready to enter the temple for the first time because you're a bishop of a young single adult ward, which if you're not a member of our church, that means he's like the congregational leader. So we're going to talk about, first of all, what the top question that I get whenever the temple comes up is, what should I be doing to prepare to go to the temple for the first time? And that's got to be a question that you're hearing too as a bishop of a singles ward. So what do you, what's your answer? What do you tell people when they say, what should I be doing to get ready to go to the temple for the first time? Absolutely. The, the first thing I think of is my own experience. And I contrast what I would hope that these young adults would do to prepare versus what I did to prepare, which was absolutely nothing. <laughs> it, it's a little bit of an indictment on, you know, what my mental and, and spiritual preparedness was at the time, but it's just my story and it's my reality. I went to the temple to go through to receive my endowment two days before I entered into the MTC as a young missionary and knew nothing about it and didn't wasn't prepared at all. Nobody had said one word. And that was a little challenging because there's a lot of symbolism in the temple, a lot of ritualistic things we do to worship God and to learn about God. And when I went in there, because of that overwhelming symbolism, I let it distract me a little bit too much from mm -hmm. the other special parts of it. So preparation is, in my view, critical. And I have a question. At the time, did they teach temple prep or is that something that they're just doing now? in more recent years? I don't remember for sure if they taught temple prep. I didn't take seminary before my mission. I didn't, I wasn't dialed into anything really very spiritual at all, except for the prompting to go on a mission. So I was very uneducated in terms of knowledge of the gospel. But I did receive two things that I would counsel anybody to do. I received this counsel from my MTC branch president, when I was there, because I would say my experience was less than very fulfilling when I went through mm -hmm. for the first time, two days before, I said, hey, President, if I could just take a pass and not go, he kind of chuckled and said, no, Elder Foster, we all go. We need to go once a week. Because the temple's right across the street from the Missionary Training Center in Provo. Exactly. And it's an uphill walk. But he gave me two pieces of advice that I would give to anybody. And he said, first of all, he said, when's your P-Day, which is your day of preparation. So that's mm -hmm. the day that you get to write home, write letters home. And back then, we could even go to the mall, believe it or not. But really? Yes, wow. That, that was permitted. Now. No, it wouldn't happen now. But we wanted to maximize the day. So I said, hey, it's Monday. We'll go have a P-Day on Monday. So we'll go to the temple, the very first session offered, and get it out of the way so we could play. And that was my mindset, just checklist item. And he said, okay, well, here's what I recommend. Don't eat on Sunday night. He, he was telling me to fast. Of yeah. course, I didn't really understand what <laughs> fasting really meant at the time. And then he said the most profound thing. He said, I want you to push away from your mind as much as possible, the symbolism and all the, the teachings, just as much as you can and focus on how you feel. Mm. 
That was the simple advice. And I had an absolutely profound experience. And you gave me the same advice as well when I went through the temple for the first time to receive my endowment, which if you don't know, endowment means gift. So that's why you go and receive that gift one time for yourself. And then all of the rest of the times you're doing it in service to other people who have passed on. And we can get to that in a minute. So to go back to your advice, is that still what you tell people now? Are those two things? I share that with every member who's going to go through the temple and receive their endowment. I also share some other things that I think are important, and maybe we could just step through these things. Yeah, let's do it. The first one is is you need to be worthy. When we go to the temple, there are sort of what I would consider to be minimal standards of worthiness. They're not the higher laws. They're sort of the minimum laws to enter into the temple. We consider the temple to be different than a chapel. For example, the Mm -hmm. temple is a place where right on the front door of every temple, it says holiness to the Lord. And that that reminds us that, that we are in a very, very holy, sacred place. And because it's holy and sacred, we want to keep it as holy as we can by maintaining minimal standards. And some of those standards are things like obey the law of chastity, to be honest in your dealings with your fellow men. There are a lot of other worthiness type questions that one has to answer in order to receive what we call a temple recommend or a this opportunity to go into the temple, to enter into the temple. It's important that you're worthy. And it's not like you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. That's a really important thing because I'm not perfect. Right. But you need to satisfy or, or answer affirmatively these questions that are asked so that we can maintain the the temple as a very holy place and receive inspiration from God there. And I think it's really important to differentiate too, if anyone happens to be listening who are not members of our church, there was a woman who was baptized into our church when we first moved to Southern California who said she drove by our church building for years and thought that you had to answer questions to be able to come to our church because somewhere along the line, she had heard something about a temple recommend. So just to be super clear, to enter into our church and just come worship with us on Sunday, no questions, no recommends, everyone's welcome. But to go to the temple, that is a process where you would answer these questions be worthy to enter. Correct. In fact, on every chapel, we call the place where we meet every week as a congregation, we call those chapels in our culture. Right on the outside of every single chapel, there's a sign that says visitors welcome because visitors are welcome. The temple is just a little bit different type of a place of worship. However, if you are not a member of our church, if you happen to catch a temple before it's dedicated, you can walk through and we can put a link in our show notes to open house temples where you can take a tour before it's dedicated. So that's a cool thing too. But okay, to move on, let's keep going with the things that you try to recommend to people as they're getting ready to go to the temple. After be worthy, what's the next thing? The next thing I recommend is is just sort of set your expectations in the right order. You need to be able to expect to learn slowly and simply. We believe that by small and simple things, great things are brought to pass. And that's especially true in the temple. Temple knowledge, temple power, we call it 
being endowed with power because the endowment, as you mentioned, Corinne, is a gift. That comes not by a single event that we participate in. It's not a single receive your endowment and then you're somehow endowed with power. It comes little by little, slowly, little at a time. We're a big baseball family. My dad played at BYU and we've spent a lot of time playing baseball. And it really reminds me of some of the finer elements of baseball. I think unlike some sports, baseball, especially hitting and fielding, pitching, catching. I was a catcher. Hmm. My, my dad was a catcher. Our boys, your brothers yeah. were catchers. It requires incredible practice. We used to say, not practice makes perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect, which means you're never going to practice perfectly all the time and you're always learning. But what you find is in the game of baseball, to be a good hitter, you need lots of hitting practice. And there's a reason why teams that excel, even at the youngest ages, excel when they learn through repetition and mm -hmm. through practice. And that's the way the temple is. So if you're just learning to hit, in fact, I remember when my dad coached our teams, he would teach us all how to bunt first. The first thing we did is we squared up, we laid down a bunt because that was the easiest way to put the bat on the ball. Mm -hmm. After time, you learn how to let the ball get into the comfort zone. We call it let the ball travel. And then you learn how to square up a ball. In the beginning, if you pop up or if you ground out, but you make contact, that's a victory. And over time, you learn how to hit the ball more consistently. And then you learn how to read pitches and, and the pitches come and in different speeds, velocities. They also come with different rotations. They break. Yet with time and overtime, you can develop that skill and that talent to be a really good hitter, even with elevated pitching. And the temple's similar. And in that you can't expect in your first couple of hours of attending the temple to really learn a whole lot. Or understand, or just, I think almost everyone, if not everyone, is just pretty overwhelmed the first time with so much information and experience. So you could take really the Michael Jordan of baseball, who would that be? Like Babe Ruth, <laughs> I don't, somebody like that, and give them a baseball and a bat for the very first time. And they would never hit it perfectly the first time they're touching a bat and a baseball, even if they're the most talented baseball player who had ever lived. You just, they would never get it perfectly right the first time is what you're saying. Exactly. They can be a phenomenal athlete, a Michael Jordan, a Danny Ainge, and still not, they're still good baseball players, but never get to that same level because of the practice and, and just repetition that's required over and over. Had they dedicated their careers to baseball? Yes, because they're great athletes. And that's one of the beautiful things about the temple is all we need, we're not limited by our physical abilities in the temple. We are limited by our hearts and our minds and turning them over to God. And we can be the best at receiving personal inspiration for ourselves by simply worshiping with dedication in the temple. Let's just be really real. I feel like I hear a lot of people say after their first time, that was really weird. And people will kind of zero in on that word that it's weird or they felt weird or something like that. And it's a little bit like your experience that you talked about at first where some of the symbols and things that were going on distracted you. But for me, I felt like I was 
a little bit of an anomaly because I was so well prepared that it didn't feel weird to me. Even though I was overwhelmed with the information and it felt like a lot that I was going to have to process and go back and do a lot of times, I just remember seeing things and thinking, oh yeah, that's just like that man taught me to to look for in the scriptures multiple times. And then when I saw it in the temple, it felt very natural and normal to me. I think that when you and I have talked about this guide that he gave me, there's so much power in seeing how God works consistently the same way a lot of times. So, but you are way more of a scriptorian than I am, and you understand this so much better. So that's why I, I would love to talk a little bit about some of those patterns and some of the things that that you teach people who are preparing to go to the temple. So the symbolism in our temple worship isn't new. In the Old Testament, it's replete with references to the clothing that they wore when they went to some of the acts of sacrifice, the the places of worship, and they were so beautiful. One of the scriptures that I personally love to focus on and think about how inspired the restoration is, of course, in the temple worship is in chapter two of Isaiah, which says that in the last days, think about that, that they're talking about our days, right? The Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. And then a little bit later in that temple, it says, he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. Mm. And that's what we do in the temple. Yeah, We are taught the ways of the Lord and we literally, we strive to be in the presence of God. That's what the temple invites us to do. So what we realize is that the Lord did this with his ancient people. As we look at these patterns that are found in the scriptures, we can find them in several places. Enoch, in the the book of Moses, we read that he sees the Lord. He went up to a high mountain to see the Lord, and the Lord there taught him the history of the world. Does that sound familiar? It's just a beautiful description of what the Lord did to teach Enoch Mm -hmm. about his plan. The brother of Jared once again went up to a high mountain. And we know that in the ancient days, there weren't temples built by the hand of men So what did God do? He would tell his prophets, get thee up to the mount or get to the top of that mountain and there you'll be able to commune with me. And that's what we see. That's where he likes to give instruction. Absolutely. Sometimes I like to call it the temple of the mountains, but Mm -hmm. we obviously have built temples today for that purpose. But Moses, in the book of Moses, we know that, that God showed him all the creations of his hand. He talked to God on that mountain. He was in the presence of God. Nephi was carried away in the spirit. He saw the history of man from the birth of Jesus all the way to the end of the earth and the end of the world. That's that's the Lord teaching our prophets. And how did he do it? Similar things. He's teaching us of his ways. And we literally have the opportunity to walk in his paths. And this was the part that I remember being so cool was sitting down. And that's like the first thing in the the temple endowment that you do is you receive the same kind of instruction about how the world was created. And we know that it's okay to share that because in multiple YouTube videos created by our church, where they show 
This is what goes on inside a temple. They talk about how this is the instruction that you receive as a member of the church. Sometimes people get a little nervous when you talk about what goes on in the temple, but we know that the church has shared these things on an open platform, which I think is really cool. It's like, if people are going to go searching for it anyway, let them find it from the true source and not from some other weird, I don't know what you would call it, but a source that where people are just trying to make fun of us or there's a lot of that out there. That's the thing that stands out to me the most in my mind is sitting down, having no idea what to expect, and then seeing that instruction and going, oh yeah, he pointed this out to me multiple times in the scriptures. So now that I'm receiving that same kind of instruction, this feels totally normal. This is how God works. That's how it felt for me. The ordinances of God are the same. And he even used very similar places where you would go and worship him in terms of temples. We talked a little bit about the mountain. I mean, we know that Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Well, think about what the symbolism there. The children of Israel remained at the foot of the mount. We read in Exodus, Aaron and his sons and 70 elders went partway up, and Moses went all the way Mm -hmm. up. So symbolistically, we recognize that there's a terrestrial element to that symbolism. Well, first of all, a telestial element, a terrestrial element, and then a celestial element. These are patterns that repeat themselves. We know that the ancient tabernacle, for example, that they carried, they carried, the Israelites carried a temple with them and they set it up and it had effectively three areas. They, they put a little marker, a location around the entire place where they had this tabernacle and they called it the courtyard that was inside of that. And that again is a telestial type of representation. Then you would enter into the tent, which at that time was the temple. And in the main area of the tent, everyone was allowed that went to worship in the tabernacle. They were allowed to go. And oh, by the way, before they entered, they washed mm. their feet. And, and they did other rituals right there, similar to some of the rituals that we perform. And then there was a second place inside of that tent that was the Holy of Holies. It was the, the place where they had the Ark of the Covenant. And it was, a, it was the, the most sacred place where the presence of God is what the goal was for everybody who entered into that temple, was to be with God. And then, of course, later Solomon built a temple. We know that on Mount Moriah. We know that the temple was later destroyed, but but the belief has always been that God will be in his in his house. That is the Mm. house of the Lord. And in fact, if you go to the Western Wall today, the Jewish people who honor that exact temple that Solomon built will be at the what we call the Western Wall, and they will be reciting prayers and they will be putting little prayer rolls effectively mm. into the to the little cracks inside the wall because they believe to this very day God is still in that temple. He's in that wall, which I learned for the first time when we visited Jerusalem in 2017. I've never thought of it as a prayer roll too, but as you're saying that, it's like, oh yeah, that that is a pattern. It is similar. And what I love about this too, how you're explaining it and you're explaining the Old Testament, you're explaining the tabernacle that traveled is that we're not that different from a lot of other religions. I think sometimes we can feel a little like, oh, we're so unique, we're so different. And then you look at the scriptures and it's like, 
no, there's actually a lot of similarities between how many different religions worship and how they worshiped in the Bible and and what we do now. So I love that you're pointing these things out. Going to the Western Wall and seeing the Jewish people worship there was incredibly eye-opening to me. And understanding that they, right outside of the temple, have a place to wash. They go through the things that we read about in Exodus about temple worship. And they're an amazing people that that I have a ton of respect for. And I think we can learn a lot from their orthodoxy and their approach to, to their religious practices. They are a, a people to be admired. Agreed. I know that when we've talked about these notes before, too, you've said that you really enjoy the part about Gethsemane. So can we talk about that for just a minute? There's some other places in the scriptures where you can really look to find patterns that I believe are representative of what we learn in the temple. So we know that that after Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he went to Gethsemane. And we know that that's where the atonement began, where he was able to literally pray to our Heavenly Father. And, and the scriptures teach us, even in the Bible, that he, he sweat, as it were, droplets of blood in agony and because of the pain that he suffered there. Well, when he got to Gethsemane, he had eight of his apostles, and they stayed right there at the outskirts. He went a little farther with Peter, James, and John. And then, of course, we know that Jesus Christ separated himself and prayed alone to the Father when he returned to his to Peter, James, and John. You know that we know that they were sleeping and mm-hmm. He came back and on the third time said, it's okay, you're good. <laughs> I've taken care of this. Uh, but that's another representative or a pattern of, of scripture that we can look at that, that is similar to a celestial, terrestrial, and a celestial oh, kind of a state. Okay. Yeah. That's and, really and cool. And I, I find that to be very interesting as far as, and you can see these patterns all over in the scriptures where the Lord does use these these same kinds of physical separation to literally get in his presence. And typically the, the highest level of that physical separation is closest to him in whatever tabernacle or, or temple that we might find ourselves in. Yeah, that's super interesting. I've never, I mean, I'm sure this lesson, however many 15 plus years ago taught me that, but I didn't remember that part. So that's really cool to go through that. Okay, moving on. And we will, for anyone who wants these scriptures and references, we'll put everything that we can into the show notes so that if you would like to go through and read these scriptures yourselves, to prepare to go to the temple, or even if you're already a temple goer, if you want to just review this, we will put all of these references in the show notes. But to move on, let's talk about maybe another thing that you like to teach people to do to prepare to be, to have a really good experience in the temple. This will kind of go back to what where my branch president in the MTC, the, the advice he gave me, which is simply focus on how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that when the prophet Joseph was dedicating the Kirtland Temple, the prayer, 
in, in DNC 109, section 13, it uses the word feel twice. Hmm. It says that, and that all people who shall enter upon the threshold of the Lord's house may feel thy power and feel constrained to acknowledge that thou hast sanctified it and that it is a, it is thy house, a place of holiness. And that was the advice my, my branch president gave me. He said, focus on how you feel. And what I've found over the years is that, and I love the temple now. I, back then it was, it was a little, it was hard to get into a flow and a rhythm. But what I've found is I can take to the temple any concern I have, any question that I have, any worry that I have, and seek solace, seek peace. And those come by feelings. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times impressions, mental impressions that we'll get as you're seeking honestly and righteously answers to questions. And I think it's really important. There's this maybe feeling that you've got to be perfect to go to the temple. I don't believe that. I do believe you have to satisfy the standards of worthiness. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I believe that the temple is there to provide us with extra power so that we can be endowed with power from on high to be better people. I go to the temple not because I've arrived, but because I'm on a journey mm. and I need all the help I can get. So these feelings and inspiration, they just simply help. And I believe that's why God gave us temples is so that this power that we can receive from going regularly, just like batting practice, just like getting in the cage and taking swing after swing, that improvement comes almost imperceptibly in the batting cage. Well, in the temple, it comes, the knowledge that we gain and the experience that we have comes almost imperceptibly, but over time it will come and it will give us that extra strength for any trial or any challenge or any additional knowledge that we seek. A question that I have is, Sometimes I feel a little conflicted about, I go to the temple and it's supposed to be service, right? We take names to the temple of our ancestors or other people who have passed away and do temple work in their honor so that if they choose to, they can receive that work that's been done for them on the earth. It's not a like they're chained to it or they're, you know, they don't have agency. We believe that we do it as a offering to them if they want to partake of it. When we're doing these temple ordinances, you're doing it for someone else. So sometimes I feel like, okay, I, I should be going to the temple with them in mind. And this is really for them. And it's really not for me. But then I kind of feel like, well, I need the temple selfishly. I need, and you're talking about you get power from the temple. So I feel a little bit conflicted about, is this, is it okay that it's for me or it's for them or both? Or really, you know, how do you, how do you make sense of that? There's no question but what the temple benefits those who are on this side of the veil, in other words, living on this earth, and those on the other side of the veil. But it's not only okay, but it is absolutely critical in my mind that we attend the temple because of the benefits that we receive from regular temple attendance. Our leaders have said that we are to go to the temple regularly, make an appointment, keep that with exactness and joy. Mm -hmm. And the reason is so that as we learn about this endowment, we see that there are patterns of living. These patterns of living aren't just 
things that we hear, but they become part of who we are. Mm, yeah. And for example, we make a covenant to keep the law of chastity. Well, that that's not exactly espoused by most people in the in the world. In fact, I heard a recent statistic that said 84% of all Christians believe that casual sex at least once in a while is okay. That's crazy uh, to to try to comprehend, I guess, because you would think, oh, that's a commonly, I don't know, I guess I just think of it as people who are faith-based Christians, you would almost assume the opposite. It, to me, the covenant of chastity, living the law of chastity is critical for marriage. One of the main reasons for divorce is people violate that that covenant that spouses make together to stay loyal to each other. You know, when I counsel kids getting ready, young young adults getting ready to go into marriage, and we talk about this law of chastity, I, I talk about how it's critical that they establish a runway into their relationship of being true and loyal and faithful to each other through this law of chastity. Because once you get married, it's not a panacea for like never having an impure thought. You need to establish conduct and a, and a pattern of living that allows you to maintain that for decades, your whole life, and then beyond the veil. And the the temple is a frequent, if you go frequently, it's a frequent reminder of how important that is. And by the way, I did want to mention that you and I have talked, well, you taught me this, that the covenants that we make are published in the church's handbook now. It was never secretive, but it's definitely not a secret. It's something that anyone can look up in our church's handbook and I think maybe other places as well. You know, one thing that I think is important to, to bring up is that it's surprising how much we can say about the temple. Mm. When I first went through, there was this aura of, oh, it's not secret, it's sacred. And right. therefore, because it's sacred, we just don't talk a lot about it. There's very little that we can't share about the temple. If you get on the church's website, you'll be able to look at all of the covenants. We make five really important covenants, and there's a lot more about even the clothing we wear. There's mm -hmm. there's surprising amount of information on the church's website. And we'll make it really easy. If you want to see any of this, we'll put it all in the show notes. And then also the links to the YouTube videos that I mentioned earlier, too, that the church has provided these open house videos of the Rome Temple. And there was another one recently, too. I can't remember, but we'll put links to those so that you can watch those and see all of this. I'd like to mention just one more covenant, Corinne, that I think is just not normal in the world, but critical to my faith and our faith and, and how helpful it is through regular temple attendance to be reminded of this. And it is the law of consecration. You know, we see that another one of the major problems in the world today is that people overspend and they, they focus their attention on things that are not really going to be good for their financial health moving forward. A lot of toys, houses where people extend themselves beyond their means. Well, we covenant in the temple to obey the law of consecration, which means that we will consecrate ourselves, our time, our talents, everything with which the Lord has blessed us to this idea of inviting others to come unto Christ. And what does that mean? What? How does that affect us if we really understand that covenant. It means 
We're careful with our money. It, it instills discipline in each one of us. It allows us to focus on things that are of a higher calling than ourselves. It, it forces us to look beyond ourselves to help others and to share this incredible gospel that we know and, and love and, and that blesses our lives. And I think that all of these covenants, certainly there are things that are just more black and white. But for that one in particular, I feel like it can be a pretty personal thing as far as how you feel like the Lord is asking you to actively live that. And I feel like when I first went to the temple, I kind of took that in as and processed it as, okay, someday when the second coming happens and Jesus comes again, we're all going to basically like live a farmland life where you're going to maybe you're hunting the animals and I'm milking the cows and we all just share. That's literally, I thought someday we will live the law of consecration. Now I feel like I hear that covenant repetitively and think to myself, this is why I share the gospel all the time on social media, because I feel like God gave us that gift of having this very unordinary or whatever career of sharing things online and sharing my favorite jeans and my favorite hair straightener and that But part of that gift of being able to reach so many people is that I feel like the Lord expects me to use that also for good because it's everything the Lord has blessed you with. That's personal to me. That's how I feel like I've interpreted that. But it's just been interesting to me as I've continually gone to the temple where I feel like I used to look at those covenants and think, oh yeah, someday I will have to face this and live it. And this is kind of telling me what's going to happen in the future. And now I look at them and I and I feel like, no, this is now. This is how you live your life right now. Well, you know that your mom and I decided a few years ago to go serve a mission. And that's not an easy decision when you're in the middle of, of your career. Mm-hmm. But I believe the reason that we decided to do that is because mom and I had been in a habit of going to the temple every week. Now, I'm not going to say that I've done that for that long. I mean, when you're youngest brother Jacob left to go serve his mission. All of a sudden we found ourselves without children. And I felt like, okay, I don't have a good excuse to not go once a week. So for about four and a half years before we decided to to leave and go to Spain, I went every week. And when the time came to make that decision, I believe the Lord helped me understand at a level that I had never understood before what that law of consecration is. Mm-hmm. But n- make no mistake, Corinne, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure out Same. what this law of consecration means. But at that time, what did it end up resulting in? We left. We hit the pause button on our career. We didn't know what to expect coming back. But as the Lord promises us that if we listen to his voice and let him be the author of our lives, he will bless us. We get back I immediately re-engage in, in my law practice. Your mom, you, you know the results of her amazing business that she's developed. I believe those are all tied to the Lord blessing us because we listen to his voice and really we're striving to live that law of consecration, which is a covenant we make in the temple. So now I want to ask you something that almost contrasts that a little bit, which is when Neil and I were first married, when I was kind of a newer endowed member of the church and was able to go to the temple, I remember being almost afraid of it because I felt like anytime I tried to go, there was opposition. I felt like 
Satan worked so hard to keep me out of the temple. And when Neil and I would try to go once a I don't even think we were going once a month. We were like probably going once a quarter when we were first married. And I just remember feeling like, gosh, every time we try to do this, our babysitter cancels or there's an accident on the freeway or we get in an argument on the way there or something. I feel like sometimes when you're trying to get to the temple or you're trying to do something that you really need to do to take the next step to be closer to the Lord or to, you know, show that effort that you find yourself facing opposition. And I remember that being so strong before the temple became like a really strong habit in my life like it is now. And I feel like probably for people who are trying to go to the temple for the first time, they may experience that opposition. And I even feel like with recording this podcast, it was like something kept popping up where it kept preventing us from sitting down and having this conversation. So how do you counsel if I were a member of your singles ward and I said, Bishop, I really want to go to the temple, but all these things keep happening that feel like opposition. And I I don't even want to face Satan. Sometimes it just feels like it's easier for me to avoid it because he just gets in my face whenever I'm trying to do something good. Let me answer that in two steps. Number one, I think there's a time and a season for all of us. I remember back when we had four children, you're the oldest of our four children. Mm -hmm. And when, when we were in the throes of raising young children and I'm busy working more than I should have worked and your mom is, is just worn out at the end of the day because of her responsibilities and all of her hard work, I felt like if we got to the temple literally once a month, that was a huge victory. And that was our goal. Yeah, I think that as life moved on and our circumstances changed, and it started with your mom, as you know, she... Years before I started going once a week, your mom went once a week, and she really was an amazing example to me. So I think there's a time and a season, Mm -hmm. and it's not the same for everybody. So just because mom and I attend the temple each week today doesn't mean that other people, for them, I mean, there are places where you can't get to a temple except every- Once a year. Once a year, a lot of times, if that. Right. So circumstances will will vary. But the second part I want to say is that it's important sometimes to recognize the adversary in this process. And what our goal is when we go to the temple, is, as I mentioned, is we want to be in the presence of God. We want to feel his spirit. Satan wants just the opposite. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember listening to a fabulous BYU speech by Lawrence Corbridge, where he said, what's the worst of all human conditions? And he listed a whole bunch of terrible human conditions, but he said the worst one is to be separated from the presence of God. And that's what Satan wants so that we're miserable. Right. So as we as we strive to go to the temple, as we really make that part of our worship, and President Nelson said it better than anybody, set a date, set a goal, keep that date with exactness and joy. And that's gonna that goal will will change depending on your personal circumstances. And I actually have that bookmarked in my phone because it's so special to me because in 2018, and actually I didn't do it immediately when I heard the prophets challenge us to make an appointment and keep it. When I heard it, I kind of thought, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. But I went back to what you just mentioned where I was like, I've got however many kids I had at the time. Let's see. We had three kids at the time. I have three kids. I work full time. I'll go to the temple as much as I can, and maybe someday I'll follow up on that. But then in 2019, when or 
Christmas time, 2018, I was praying and praying, trying to decide what my gift to Jesus would be the following year. And every time I've had a offered a gift to Jesus for the year, I've had a corresponding miracle. And I just kept feeling like I needed to go back to that promise, which I'll read it because it's so awesome. He says, I plead with you to take a prayerful look at how you spend your time. Invest time in your future and in that of your family. If you have reasonable access to a temple, I urge you to find a way to make an appointment regularly with the Lord to be in his holy house and then keep that appointment with exactness and joy. And then he says, I promise you that the Lord will bring the miracles he knows you need as you make sacrifices to serve and worship in his temples. And the interesting thing about that was the word appointment kind of pierced me because I thought, what appointments do I never miss? And they were really unimportant things in the grand scheme of things. I never miss my hair appointment because my hair girl's really busy. It's hard to reschedule with her. At the time I was doing lashes and nails. Oh, I never miss my nail appointment. I don't want to get a week off or whatever. And I thought if I have time for all these things, all these silly appointments, I can also make time for the temple. And we've seen so many miracles going to the temple regularly. And you and I talked about this the other night because we really do love to sit around and talk about the temple. But I was saying, I think one of the biggest blessings for me is to be able to zoom out and have an eternal perspective constantly. When I go to the temple, I'm reminded over and over that this life is just a small test and that whatever I'm worried about in that moment, I oftentimes go into the temple just burdened with worry And you and I are similar in that way where we worry over worry about things. And then I sit in the temple and a lot of times I'm so much better equipped to look at something from an eternal perspective and say, does this really matter? Is it really going to matter when I die? Will I care about whatever this thing is that I, that's bothering me right now? And I feel like that weekly touch point of what actually matters has been super powerful for me to be able to see what really is important in life and what is totally not important. But what has it done for you to be in the temple regularly? Some of my most inspired thoughts and critical decisions have been made in the temple, starting with the decision to marry your mom. Oh, I, I don't know this. Tell me. I'm Now I'm super excited. Well, As you know, my parents divorced when I was a 16-year-old kid, Mm -hmm. and as amazing as your mother was when I first met her, met her months after I returned from my mission serving in Chile, I was so worried about making a mistake. I was worried that as amazing as she seemed, I was like, I don't want to go through what my parents went through. It was, it was really, really not good. And, and there are no winners in divorce and especially with children. And, and I just, I was fast forwarding in my mind life with her and I just wanted that decision to be right. Mm -hmm. I went to the temple and I prayed and I literally pleaded with our heavenly father to let me know. And we lived in St. George at the time. There was a temple right next to what, to where our dorms were. And I went and I, and I received multiple assurances that marrying your mother was absolutely divinely approved, we'll say, by God. That was the beginning part of it. 
every critical decision that we've made in terms of where to live, what to study, we've gone to the temple. And that's been our go-to place of, of trying to be in the presence of God, to try to receive that teaching and, and, and instruction and insight into whatever decision we make. And that I've found as you attend the temple regularly, that ability only increases. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm perfect. I, as I mentioned, I have so many weaknesses and I have so much yet to learn. But what I'm realizing is that when I attend the temple regularly, my foundation of faith in Jesus Christ is more firm. My knowledge increases. Every single time I go to the temple, I learn something new. I went this morning because I wanted to be ready to, to say maybe some inspired words during this podcast. And as, I, as you would expect, as now I expect, I learned some new things from the endowment. And it was, it, those are precious moments for me and, and faith building moments that just add line upon line to my testimony and my, my knowledge of the Lord. For someone who is preparing to go to the temple or even someone who's been to the temple already and they want to have that experience, do you have any advice for them as to how to hear the Lord and how to receive that kind of revelation in the temple? Honestly, I think it's just to go. President Nelson said, if you don't like going to the temple, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing, but he said, if you don't like going to the temple, go more, not less. Right. And I believe that's it's it's batting practice, Corinne. Mm -hmm. It's getting in the cage. It's taking reps. You might look pretty bad, but when you get really good instruction, so a good hitting coach who knows what he's talking about. And in the temple, we have the Lord teaching us. There's no better instruction to receive in the universe. You receive his instruction and you just stay with it. All of a sudden, you're going to feel the bat squaring up the ball and you're going to be hitting doubles in the gap before you know it. That's my. That's the analogy that to me is perfect. And that's what I strive to do is just keep going and just stay with it. And I think if you do that and go with a with a heart that's humble, and and you're you go with a desire to hear the Lord's voice, you will hear His voice. It might not be in the words that are spoken. It rarely is for me, but I have impressions that come to my mind, feelings that come into my heart that help me in life. And to circle back to about what I brought up a minute ago about the adversary trying to stop you from doing a good thing or getting to the temple or whatever, I feel like, and I'm kind of just putting this together tonight as you keep talking about power and being endowed with power, I feel like as I've gone to the temple more regularly too, that that power has kind of sought, like quieted that adversarial opposition. And I feel, I don't know if it's just because Satan's like, okay, fine, they're going to go. I'm going to stop trying <laughs> to keep them from going. Or if it's more that that power just builds and builds and builds. But I feel like I'm not afraid to go to the temple at all now. I, I crave it and look forward to it where I did at one point think it's so hard and something always bad happens <laughs> right before, you know, I used to fear it. And now I just I, I want it and need it so badly in my life. And I think probably after just hearing all of the wisdom that you've shared tonight, that a lot of that is just the power that comes from being in the temple regularly. There are a lot of things in life that create stress and anxiety and, and we worry about work. We worry about our children. We certainly worry about our adult children. 
But when I go to the temple, one thing I can count on every time is the peaceful feeling that mm. comes when I attend the temple. And that is maybe the most important thing that I strive for is to just feel that peace and feel closer to God as I go. I totally agree with that. And it's something that's hard to describe and put into words adequately, the peace that you feel there. And just to also go back to one thing I mentioned at the very beginning about how you can go through a temple, it's open to the public before it's been dedicated. I feel like even in a temple before it's been dedicated, you can you step on the grounds, you can just feel that peace. So go if you ever have the opportunity, just go and take people with you and go feel of that peace there because it's, it, like I said, it's hard to describe just how truly amazing that feeling is. Couldn't agree more. In fact, I counsel some of our young adults who are working toward becoming worthy to enter into the temple. And my counsel to them is go to the parking lot, mm. drive and and go right next to the temple and and pray for strength. And, and I even encourage them to to read their scriptures there and they will feel a desire to be inside the temple and there's power in just being literally. I love that. That's really, really cool counsel that you've given. Okay, Dad, I, we could talk about the temple for hours, but I think we should kind of round it out and give you the opportunity to share one last thing. If there's one message that you would want the person preparing to enter the temple to remember as they go, what would that one message be? The message that I would want to share is simply that that is the house of the Lord, that the Lord, His presence is there, that as we strive to, we don't have to be perfect again, but as we strive to just try to be better and we go to the temple, the Lord will communicate His will to us and He'll do it in so many different ways. My advice is to go, to just simply be worthy and go to the temple. Even if you don't figure out everything right away, you won't. <laughs> but as you go over a lifetime, even over a, an extended period, you'll realize that your desire to go will go up. Just like you mentioned, Corinne, you'll, you'll love to go to the temple over time. And you can't really explain to other people until you've gone a lot what, what the power is that comes from that. And again, I haven't figured it out. I'm just working toward it, but boy, it's sure helpful to me in my life. And it's available. That power is not just, oh, once you've arrived at a certain place in your spirituality, I just, I love that, that I feel like it's available to anyone that walks in those doors. It's just the gift that we can all receive. And and I love that about the temple too, that I feel like what you walk in and you just see that everyone is equal. We're all God's children. And it's, that's such a beautiful experience. So thanks so much, dad, for sharing this with me tonight. This was such a gift to me. I felt the spirit the whole time. And I feel like this is really going to help people. And for any of the notes that we talked through tonight, we'll put those in the show notes too, the scripture references and talks and anything else and links to things. So thanks again for joining me. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. 
subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox and we'll email you every time there's a new episode. 